You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. I feel like today is the first day of actual fall. I say that it is October 15th, so that's crazy pants, but mm-hmm. it has been very hot <laughs> up until like right now today. It is finally like cool weather. It was dark and stormy. It rained a little bit. There are trees down in our neighborhood. It felt very spooky ooky. Yes, I stepped outside to go for a walk and I took a big deep breath and I was like, hmm, smells like leaves. Mm, smells like dead leaves. Dead leaves, <laughs> like not summertime leaves, but like mm, fall time leaves. October stank. Dust. October got a good smell. It really does. And it also I think it's like the October plus the rain because I love rain smell. Yeah. Um. So. There's a nip in the air. Yeah. Apparently we're about to have like a cold cold winter which you know what I feel like when we moved here I was like prepared I was prepared to buy like plastic for the windows to insulate us we didn't have to at all no it, we really did we really didn't have we haven't had a polar vortex yet. no so we'll see Our la- the last polar vortex the midwest had was the year before we moved here and it was pretty bad uh yeah I wasn't even present oh for yeah that. you were in Massachusetts I anyway was. it was cold as shit <laughs> Um, it wasn't warm in Massachusetts, but it wasn't as, as cold. Yeah. 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 Mid- the Midwest is a lawless place. Why the hell do we live here? But yeah, so we're getting spooky. We're feeling like, you know, spooky, scary skeletons. Halloween is nigh. Yes. Which means it's time for the second Halloween bonus episode of the Teen Wolf Roof podcast, a podcast where we usually talk about MTV's Teen Wolf, you know, when we get there in the episodes. But today we are talking about the 2012 movie, The Cabin in the Woods. My name is Christian. And I'm Julia. And we're talking about The Cabin in the Woods. A movie we just learned is called The Cabin in the Woods and not Cabin <laughs> in the Woods. I um, kind of did not believe that until I actually saw, like, the cover for the... Cause we searched it up and it's like, do you mean the cabin in the woods? And I was like, that cannot be real. But no. Yeah. No, it's real. It's real. Yeah. It's like when somebody's like, do you mean the Ohio State University? I no, absolutely do not. I do not. I do not. Shut up. I, go blue. <laughs> I went to Michigan. <laughs> I do not care about you. It's not T-O-S-U. It's just O-S-U. Yes. Shut up. Yes. Yeah. God. I know, right? It's pretentious. You'd think that we'd get over kind of weird, petty bullshit like that since we are now years out of college, but no, it doesn't leave you. No, because my uh, whole entire childhood, I was asked by every freaking adult I met, oh, so do you support Michigan or Michigan State? Yeah. And I had no genuine answer to that until I, didn't I went either, there. Because my family's not from Michigan. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, and, yeah, yeah. It digs into you. Cool. Um, it's also. I think we're also mostly feeling this way because it's football season. Um, Neither yes, of us it would is. Give a shit if we watched this movie in January. <laughs> that's, but then it's basketball season. Like, oh, I guess that's so, true. Hmm. I guess that's true. Um, so we watched the Cabin in the Woods. This is almost a continuation of our episode on Scream because this is a movie that is meant to deconstruct the genre of horror. It's funny. It kind of occurred to me that we don't really watch like. With the exception of Blair Witch, which we had fun doing, we've never done another, like, horror horror movie. Like a traditional situation. Which is mm-hmm. interesting. One, I think we understand that we have a lot of listeners who are in high school. Yeah. And I was not prepared to watch a lot of the horror movies I watched then, so I think we're doing everyone a service. But also, I think as our time has gone on, as we've talked about Teen Wolf and really broken it down to its bare bones, both of us have struck a very heavy interest in the way that horror, like, is put together. Yeah. 
Um, or even just like becoming, gr- growing up, being an adult, watching more and more horror as it goes on. Because it was not always a genre that I particularly liked. No, definitely not. No, I, all the, I feel like all of the moments I wa- like ended up watching horror movies in high school happened the same way that they're like supposed to like it was a party and everyone was like well let's watch this and I was like yeah I'll totally watch that and then sounds great I saw the shining um interesting yeah I a boy showed me the shining so I didn't like it so I have to watch it by myself yeah you do it's I actually do love the shining um but now I think it's become a far more mainstream genre it's something that you and I seek out, which is mm-hmm. why we're so interested in picking it apart. And this movie is famed for doing so. Yeah. Um, it has definitely become a genre that has been taken much more seriously in the past couple of years, which is interesting because like Silence of the Lambs won Best Picture in the 90s, which is a horror film, but it's like a psychological horror film. And after that, I don't think there were really a lot of other attempts at making like... Um, real human drama horror movies. Well, it's funny because it was a really big part of like the sort of 70s, 60s, 70s era horror moving into the early 80s. And then we had The Shining, which received similar critical acclaim. And I Mm -hmm. think that Silence of the Lambs was like really sort of the last part of that for a while. And we talked about this when we talked about Scream, is that Scream revitalized the genre, but Mm -hmm. it revitalized it into like, stuff like saw like the really sort of heavy gore torture porny esque stuff that i think cabin in the woods then lampoons yeah yeah which is why it's interesting i think that was we unintentionally did scream <laughs> and then we're like oh we should definitely do cabin in the woods next so i think that this will be a fun conversation first though <laughs> This sucks, but first, we have to do a timed recap to see who can get through the plot of Cabin in the Woods first in the fastest amount of time. I talk fast, but I'm also rambly, so it will not be me. Um, Well, you went first on our Donnie Darko episode, so I will go first on this one. Thank God. I literally (laughs) thought we were going to have to rock, paper, scissors, and I was going to have to embarrass myself in front of everyone again. We can do that on our final bonus episode, but uh, for now. Our final bonus episode chosen by whatever Rewolf listener gets the bingo first. I'm not nervous about that at all. Well, Um, (laughs) here's the thing. Whatever they pick, we will be happy to do, but there are movies I would rather talk about than other movies. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but I am ready to talk about Cabin in the Woods. Are you ready to yeah, was, do our timed recap? I was looking down at my paper as though I had plot notes on it. I don't. Right. So we're going to just wing it. Yeah. Here. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Ready? Yeah. On your mark, get set, go. Okay. So um, Bradley Whitford and another guy are like in their office job and they're like, okay, we got to start our big project. And then we cut to um, a bunch of college students preparing to go off to their cabin, their cousin's cabin for a little while. Um, And there's like a jock and a nerd and a, you know, whatever. Um, So they all go and then they try to get some gas and this guy's like, well, you better turn around. Um, And they're like, actually thinks we're not going to do that. So everything's like set up. They get to the cabin and we realize that like the people from the beginning are kind of controlling everything that's going on because this is supposed to be some sort of sacrifice and every other mission in the entire world has failed. So this is like the last hope between them and Japan. And uh, they start doing all these things that like normal college kids start to do. They go swimming, um, 
they start messing around. They play a little game of truth or dare. They end up going to the basement and choose um, a diary and they read some Latin, which of course is a big no-no in horror movie uh, jargon. And then all of these um, redneck Christian puritanical zombies come up out of the ground to kill them off one by one. They try to escape, but the tunnel is blocked in. They realize that someone is controlling them. um, But before the nerd and the virgin can get back, he's killed by a zombie um, and she almost died, but the fool comes and saves her and they go and they figure it out and they go down to um, the work floors, basically. Japan has failed. Everything is like falling apart. They release all of the other um, mythical creatures like werewolves and stuff. And so um, everything's going to shit. There's a bunch of blood everywhere. They finally make it down to the um, final little uh, sacrifice room. And Sigourney Weaver is like, well, you guys have to die so that the world can live. And they're like, actually, I don't think we're going to be doing that. And then the world ends. 140. I felt okay about that. I thought you did good. <laughs> well, you definitely got all of it, which is impressive. Um, I really felt like I was missing something, but because it kind of goes, you know, it, it bounces back and forth, I could just tell what was happening and then tell what was happening. I guess so. Um, I don't know if that made it literally any sense. It didn't. Okay, thanks, cool. Thanks for Great. asking, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's good that we um, check in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have no excuse for my behavior other than um, the time. The timed recaps are nerve wracking. What do you think is more stressful? The sixty like I, the sixty second one. I'm like, well, I'll just catch it up at the end. But like, the timed I don't know. ones. I'm like, I do have to get everything in. The timed ones. I'm like, am I boring people? You might be. I might be. But we've that's- never had anyone <laughs> complain. So that's hmm. true. Um, you know, you guys are running out of time to complain. Yeah, so. if you want to file complaints, it's uh, at it's teenwolfraywolf at gmail.com. <laughs> um, we'll take them. We'll read them on air. We'll put them right in the junk folder. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you, um, I'm going to time you to see if you can get through the plot of this movie a little bit faster than me. Um, how are you feeling? Nope. No, oh, okay. I'm not. No, we're not discussing. You're not feeling at all. Got it. I refuse to be therapized. <laughs> okay. Um, well, I'm going to start the clock in three, two, one, go. So we see these two guys and they're clearly part of like some sort of government bureaucracy and they're talking about like how tonight's the night, big night. And then it flashes to these college students and they're like, we're going to go to uh, so-and-so's cabin. And there are all these like different archetypes of people and they get to the cabin and everything's like really sort of like, oh, this is so sketchy. Everything looks purposefully scary. And meanwhile, everything is going to according to plan in this bureaucracy where all these dudes are basically planning the way that these kids are going to die. But meanwhile, all the other agencies across the world have failed. So it's on them. So at the cabin, they're like drinking and they're doing drugs and they're having fun and everyone is behaving really off from the way that they normally present. Like in the beginning of the movie, it's very clear that they're like whole people and now they're all kind of devolving. And so the jock and the whore go off to like be in the woods for sexy times. And then, uh, no, they go to the basement and then they accidentally summon the zombies by looking over all these artifacts and reading of a diary and then they're all partying and then uh the jock and the whore go out to the uh woods for sexy times and then the uh zombies come and they start killing everybody but the fool is really aware of what's happening because he hasn't actually been poisoned like the agency prompt like was planning he's just been smoking weed and he's like something's happening people are talking to us this is all plans we're puppets nobody believes him uh they think he gets killed because he gets grabbed by one of the zombies the scholar and the virgin and the uh, the athlete whatever he is they go and they are driving out in their truck and they try to cross the like this 
cave tunnel, but it gets caved in. He tries to cross the ravine on a motorcycle and then gets stopped by the force field that's keeping them in the cabin. Um, the scholar and the virgin try to drive back, but they get plummeted into a lake. He dies because the zombie kills him. She gets out of the lake and finds that Marty, the fool, is still alive. And he's like, I have something to show you, and shows her, shows her an elevator that takes him back down into the government building that was controlling this. They accidentally let loose all of the other creatures that could have potentially been let loose in the cabin, and they are fight through all of these people they finally make it down to the bottom where there's this like huge like temple and there's all of these archetypes and they're like oh my gosh this has all been planned Sigourney Weaver comes out of nowhere and is like yes because we have to do these ritual sacrifices or else the old gods who used to rule the earth will kill us and they're like yeah we would rather everyone die than save them Um, and they do that okay so here's the thing yeah two minutes and 14 seconds oh god that was so long but yeah if I had never seen this movie, yeah, your explanation would have made way more sense than mine. Okay. So I also love that you referred to him as the scholar, which is way nicer than just calling him the nerd. He's, well, I think that's his archetype in the movie. I, I think so as well, but... Um, I think uh, it's very I, well. I was calling Chris Hemsworth character. I, the funny thing is, you don't actually learn any of these characters' names except for Marty. I mean, like you kind of know them, but it's not like talked about. One of them is named Kurt. It's Kurt Holden Marty, and I do not know the girl's name. Jules. Jules. The, the final girl, no idea who that is. Yeah, because they keep calling her the virgin, and you're like, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yes, that's where we leave off. I It's funny, because I like feel like somebody who is, has never seen Cabin in the Woods would be like, it's weird that you don't know the character's name. He's not being very respectful. No, that is actually the point of the movie. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so this movie, when it came out, was not advertised in a way that would reflect how it would actually watch. No. We watched the trailer um, just to kind of refamiliarize ourselves. Because we both watched that trailer in high school and we're like, yeah, I don't know if I want to see that movie. It looks scary. It does look scary. But this is objectively a horror comedy, leaning more towards comedy than anything. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you get kind of the idea in the trailer that like something is not as it seems because it spells it out for you. That like you don't actually know the story. But like I don't think... Um, really any person would have been prepared for that particular, not even the ending, but like the point, the purpose. Yeah. And I understand that the trailer wouldn't necessarily want to give all of this away because of course you want to entice people to see this. And if it just seems sort of like a sci-fi weird thing, it's not going to be as enticing as like sexy teenagers go out into the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie opens with the like agents discussing their plans, you know? Yeah, I was um, reading on IMDb trivia that that was apparently a deliberate choice because uh, the writers, Drew Goddard and Joss Whedon, were like, wouldn't it be hilarious if people sat down and thought they'd walked into the wrong movie? Yeah, it it does feel like that, (laughs) too. And knowing now what we know now, (laughs) that's really smart, but it's really funny. It it feels like the advertisement was... The advertising and the marketing for this movie was perfect, like, was um, by choice off. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because it actually prevented me from seeing it for a bit. And then I did end up watching it like when it came on cable later. <laughs> um, so it it really is an interesting deconstruction of the genre. We're going to talk about what works. We're going to talk about what doesn't. It's a good, it's going to be a good conversation. Uh, Julia, tell me what works about this movie. Well, I think you just brought up one of the most successful um, things and kind of what the entire movie is trying to do is it is taking 
the five most recognizable tropes from horror films, archetypes of, of characters, and completely deconstructing them. Whatever we think we know about them is just not the case. It's a really interesting conversation about free will, um, invention. Yeah, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, like, the conversation of the archetype is obviously, like, the sort of turning point of this movie. When I think of things like Scream, it's less about the character. Like, they do do the whole, like, well, the virgin doesn't die thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's more about, like, tropes of, like, running upstairs when you should be running down. And this is very much, like, like, a character study in the way that we watch these people devolve. In the first mm-hmm. five minutes when we're watching them just sort of be friends and they're all normal and, like, behaving like normal college friends, you're like, oh, I like these people. They're sort of whole people. We don't know a lot about them yet, but they seem to be interacting in a way that is organic. Mm-hmm. And then the second they start having the influence of this agency, which was not named the agency, of this, like, bureau that is controlling them to make sure that they're fitting the archetypes that would suit the gods for sacrificial purposes <laughs> you watch like a devolution of their character mm-hmm. and into the most sort of reduced form of what gets presented in horror movies and that is fascinating yeah it is wonderful the way that they are set up because one of the things that i think sometimes takes me out of horror films is I'm like why do these characters why are they friends yeah like why do they hang out with each other other than fulfilling those particular archetypes and like you kind of get the sense of why all these people really like each other like Marty is just some fun stoner who clearly like wandered into their group one day and they were like "Mm, we've adopted you Mm -hmm. um you know and Kurtz brought in his friend for the virgin (laughs) We should look up her name. Um, I'm not gonna. But um, they all clearly seem like I would I would have met any of those people. Yeah, well, they all have, like, defined, like, earlier relationships. Like, Jules says to Marty that, like, they made out at one point, like, freshman year or something. And that's mm-hmm. actually how you make friends <laughs> in college. No, but, like, you do sort of acquire people in weird ways. And it's fun that we see that. And then also watch that the way that they understand each other falls apart the second they start acting as archetypes and not whole people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Marty is, like, because Jules is, like, dancing and, like, doing this sort of striptease something that Mm -hmm. she would not do in front of them we know that she's pre-med she's clearly very smart and we find out that the agency put like a like poison like a neuron inhibitor in her hair dye to make her dumber which is hilarious because at the beginning of the movie we find out that she's not a natural blonde yeah and she has recently gotten it dyed for fun yeah, for a change, you know? Which is totally normal, um, but it also very much, like, it kind of um, introduces the question of, like, was that idea planted in her head? Uh-huh. Um, Sorry, there's just a siren. Mm-hmm. It's just a regular, regular episode of the Teen Wolf Rewolf. <laughs> yeah, it's been a, it's been a day on, really our, on our street. Um, yeah, clearly these people are all being manipulated from the beginning. Yes. Um... It's so interesting to watch it all play out. Um, And especially, I think, in the basement is one of the turning points of that. Because um, that is when, basically, they decide their fate. Because one person decides to, like, read 
the Latin out loud, which if you've ever seen a horror movie ever, you know that that's not the move. Yeah. Um, but every single one of them kind of goes off into their own little moment in the basement, like collecting all of those things and exploring them. And we just got this whole thing with Jules making out with the stuffed wolf, wolf. head. Um, and then right after that is when Kurt and Jules go off out into the woods to have their sexy time. It's almost like things are happening on a schedule. They are. No, yeah. literally, even the, the agency, like the facility is like... Right on time. Right on yeah. time, right on time. Everything is happening right on time, and they're placing bets on what monster they're going to bring out of the basement. Mm-hmm. And there is a like new... Um, I guess he's like a security guard. Um, his name is Truman. And he is like really opposed to the idea that everybody else at the facility is betting. And they're like, we're not choosing what they pick. This isn't rigged. We can only rig it so far. What they pick up and make, you know, come out of the mm-hmm. ground is, <laughs> up is to them. free will. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really interesting thing because it's sort of like free will is an illusion. They can only have so much free will. They're still, whatever is going to come out is still going to get them. Um, but yeah, I think there is a sort of, uh, I think like the character is where it starts, like the character archetypes is where it starts to break down the genre. And then the second we get in that basement, it's, you know, anything could come out of the ground because it, it, it's all about like character setting monster. It follows the same pattern every single time. And it's mm-hmm. letting you know that regardless of what happens, it will follow the same pattern because that's what horror movies do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not just a, a, a deconstruction of the archetypes. It also is of the like plot structure and the like greater um, execution of horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the, I mean, the greatest downfall in what leads the structure to really fall apart is that um, these archetypes with all of the pushing and prodding cannot be relied upon. Yes. Um, because Marty is somehow immune, somehow, he's been smoking a lot of untreated weed, mm-hmm. um, immune to all of the things that they have been pumping into all of these people's bodies. And it's just like a human error that they didn't account for, which is so interesting because that's usually like how, here's how people can still win in a horror movie. It's like human error, mm-hmm. something completely unexpected. But there's like this arrogance of the people organizing it downstairs where they're like, we 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 have thought of every scenario we can't possibly lose yeah yep totally um i think that it's also um it does this in a way that is non-reflexive and i mean that in the way that it does not directly reference the film industry or other movies like outright it doesn't say them we see like other creatures come out of the basement or whatever that are little boxes (laughs) that are clearly supposed to be from other things Mm -hmm. um but it's able to sort of in the way that scream has to reference other things to be like this is what's happening it is able to sort of um break this down without giving you uh direct examples which I think mm-hmm. actually plays slightly more into the audience's intelligence than scream does but obviously this movie is borrowing and taking from Scream and then building on it. So it's not Mm -hmm. like it's standing alone. (laughs) 
Um, you know what else works about this movie? What? It is so fucking funny. <laughs> it is hilarious. And I'm somebody who doesn't love a quip. Like, I don't love quips, but, like, there are some, like, setups in this movie that are wonderful. Knocked out of the park. I mean, even there are some visual gags that are just incredible. Um, Marty's, like, telescopic coffee mug bong is so So unbelievably funny. Well, I asked you, I was like, was this something that you used to be able to buy as, like, a gag gift at, like, Spencer's or something? Or do you think that they, like, props made it for this movie and then you were like, well, if they made it for this movie, it definitely started showing up and, like you know gag shops and whatever does spencer still exist oh wow i have no idea maybe i just dated myself i think it still exists i'm pretty sure spencer still exists it has to exist somewhere i want to go to a spencer's mall in the middle of iowa i'm Mm -hmm. sure there's a spencer's yeah and 12 year olds are daring their friends to go in yeah yeah um (laughs) a a like rite of passage in the midwest i'm sure oh yeah yeah that's that definitely happened to me um yeah marty i think is like the kind of the clear example of how uh funny this is because he's he's the fool he's the jester he is supposed to fulfill um that type but a lot of it is just his like observations about what's going on well i think he's the most um like conversationally and intelligently funny a lot of the other Mm -hmm. gags that happen are like clowning and visual like physical comedy Mm -hmm. and when marty is talking it is mostly in like sort of soliloquy it's like an aside that he's saying that the audience gets to partake in and laugh at that he's making the same observation you did as well Mm -hmm. and it's sort of like an in joke and i think that that's helpful it's winky yeah there's also moments where we understand that the characters before they start falling apart have really keen and interesting senses of humor Mm -hmm. like at one point um Dana, I remembered your name. Excellent. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Dana, who's the virgin, is like talking to Jules and she is like bringing books on this trip. And Jules is like, no, no, no. I'm setting you up with this new boy. And um, Kurt comes in and <laughs> Jules is holding these books and he's like, where did you get these? We <laughs> talked about this. And it's like very clearly like a long running gag they have as a couple. And she like storms out. And then Kurt has this like funny moment with Dana and they're just sort of talking and then he like goes out to go find Jules and it's like that is really funny we're seeing like an in joke of their relationship to establish that they have a very like specific way that they interact with each other which is funny it's based on like um like verbal communication they're obviously like have been dating for a while and have mm-hmm. like this really good interaction so then later when you see them and like they've been pumped full of aphrodisiacs and they're just sort of like animals you're like me tarzan you jane yeah exactly yeah. uh it's it's a really interesting way of using humor to introduce a concept that you're later going to deconstruct very a very astute observation mercy buckets <laughs> I, I, um, I can't say that anyone else will agree with me but in the teen wolf pre-wolf echo chamber um yeah no i think that it, it's I, one of the biggest examples that um, Joss Whedon worked on this film because he's really well known for that particular type of humor um, and being really quippy, which works here for me, um, for sure. And also part of the humor, like you were just saying about the kind of their transition from being normal people to being archetypes um, is playing on all of the other tropes. One of my favorite moments um, is when the gas station 
guy yeah calls in to like inform them uh inform all of the bureaucrats that like they've passed by they're on their way and he's being so fucking dramatic yeah, so cryptic and like using all this really heightened language and they're like they put him on speakerphone so that they can laugh at how like ridiculous he sounds and he wises up to it eventually and he's like oh, i can't believe you put me on, on speakerphone, speakerphone. <laughs> it's so good um and like it that's one of the like things that I like about the construction of the underground bureaucracy um is that it it laughs at the genre it's like he he ha ha it's really funny to be like this when everything is actually completely out of your hands uh completely out of your hands and also if you fail the world will end um but it does just seem like their normal nine to five yes it's a really good juxtaposition I think yeah they literally have a water cooler conversation Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great. And then so if somebody calls in and is like, the lambs are leading the slaughter, they're like drinking beer and they're like, okay, Mordecai. <laughs> the harbinger. Um, what else works about uh, Cabin in the Woods? Um, I think that this is a really excellent cast. Um, well, Sigourney Weaver is in it. So like that so- <laughs> brings it up by points and points. She's in it for like maybe five minutes and it's like, well, this is the best movie ever. <laughs> Yeah, I love it when she shows up. Um, obviously, some of these people went on to be like incredibly famous after this movie, and some people were already incredibly famous, like Sigourney Weaver and Bradley Whitford. Um, but Chris Hemsworth and also Jesse Williams have gone on to have like huge careers. Well, Kristen Connolly and Anna Hutchinson also have like pretty, like they're they are notable, noticeable actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Chris Hemsworth is most mostly the biggest like star star yeah because I think this was you said this was filmed before Thor and then came out like the same year as the mm-hmm. Avengers and so after the Avengers happened another Joss Whedon vehicle Joss Whedon why did you have to be such a fucking asshole um, Chris Hemsworth just skyrocketed he's also handsome and australian so so well he's incredibly charming um i think everyone is like playing their roles to mm, perfection yeah uh you know something funny about chris hemsworth hmm. so my aunt jesse is australian Mm -hmm. and every time we're watching like a punch him up action movie she's like is it a Hemsworth in this one <laughs> I love the Hemsworths I love them I'm like we know we'll we find know. a movie with a Hemsworth it doesn't matter which one I, like, uh, which Hemsworth is that it, that's not a Hemsworth really no <laughs> I love that one of my favorite things about Australian actors especially like in juxtaposition with British actors is they are so good at doing American accents yeah like you can barely in the tell. absolute opposite way I was just so bad at doing an Australian <laughs> accent but, like the the two um leads on like the hundred are both Australian actors I'm like I would you'd have no clue you'd have no idea interesting no I do yeah. think his accent is good mm-hmm. um yeah I think the cast is great I obviously th- Bradley Whitford is so good I also like Bradley Whitford can play an asshole like no other. He is a bad, shitty dad in every universe. Yeah. In every single... It doesn't matter. Josh Lyman didn't have kids. Bad dad. Like, (laughs) doesn't matter. That's just the vibe. Um, But he is such a delight to watch on screen in anything. Mm -hmm. Um, And he has like... You know, he was in Get Out, I think, most recently. Um, 
so he clearly like fits well into this genre I think yeah um, I really like watching him so I agree I think the cast really it it just it's great mm-hmm. it also like you know it's funny <laughs> I have heard obviously as an actor you want to play like deeply compelling and like you know heavy roles that make you do a lot of thinking but then there's also a joke about being like yeah I just want to do dumb shit (laughs) and this kind of gives you the best of both worlds where you do have to think really like conceptually about what you're doing but you also are at least for everybody who's not Dana and Marty getting to play the archetype Mm -hmm. yeah which has to I mean once you make it to the cabin yeah it's not like the beginning um you know what I think works hmm. is I think the production design is really good. I think when they go down to the basement and there's all that shit, it's like, it should feel so obvious to them that something is up, that all of these things are from a different movie, you know? Yes. Well, and this is like, uh, you know, going back to the conversation we were having before, I love the idea that they have all been manipulated even up to this point because we're watching them go through the tunnel. You and I were sitting there being like, immediately, no. Yeah, immediately, no. Don't go through a tunnel. Drive a, through a tunnel, no. Drive through a tunnel, and that's the only way in and out from this cabin? No. Absolutely not, but they are like already so messed with. And then when they go down to the basement, like it is so atmospherically perfect well it's also so off from Mm -hmm. the upper because the upper level is just a cabin it's It's just normal creepy it's weird it's got some weird art on the walls but Mm -hmm. like that should immediately set off alarm bells and it really does for marty who's the only person who's i guess in his own special way sober for that moment Mm -hmm. but seeing all that stuff it seems so understanding of what you would see if this movie was taking place in a a mansion or a cave or a whatever like anywhere else where you'd go and find the artifact it just happens that all the artifacts are in one space and I thought that was great I think the cabin is very um I said to you Tardisian yes it is way bigger on the inside which is really good and also something you think they would notice right away yeah They should be like, this place, how the hell does this place have four bedrooms? Mm -hmm. That's nuts. (laughs) Crazy. Yeah. The fact that no one's sleeping on the couch, weird. Yeah. You know Uh, what actually happens when you go like camping or out to the woods with your friends in college? It's like three to a bed and you're all uncomfortable and Very sweaty. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, You wake up the next morning and you're like, let's make breakfast, (laughs) but you can't eat it because you're so hungover. (laughs) Yeah. It's it looks really good. Even the gas station looks really good. The gas station is straight out of the supernatural <laughs> cinematic universe. Uh, specifically, uh, season four, episode one, Lazarus Rising. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I really like it. And one of the things that I think is really cool about them going into the basement is, and I'm noticing this like because this is probably the fourth time I've seen this movie, I really want to know what would happen if Kurt finished playing with that little uh, ball or if the ballerina stops moving, like you are so intrigued by all of those things because you're like, what, what's the connection? What's the thread? Like what is supposed to happen? Yeah. Um, you do kind of see it. You, you get the answer really belatedly. Yeah. Um, which is good for the characters to have their own realization of like, Oh my God, we, we did this to ourselves. Yeah. Um, but I think I could have watched, oh my god, I think I could have watched like a choose your own adventure version of this movie. Oh, my, like a Bandersnatch. Yeah. 
Obviously, we were years and years away from Bandersnatch existing or even Netflix existing in the capacity that allowed Bandersnatch to exist. Yeah. Or the Kimmy Schmidt Bandersnatch. <laughs> also very fun. Um, yeah, I think that it's no no shock that we like this. It's, it's well within the realm of things that we're interested in talking about and breaking down. Um, it's funny. We watched this last year around the same time, and I actually had more fun watching it this time around. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, um, like I hadn't seen this movie in a really long time. And I remember when it came out, I was like so jazzed about it and was talking with all of my friends about how good I thought it was because I was in high school. Like, you know, I've, I've grown and evolved as a person <laughs> since then. Um, and I was a little disappointed mm-hmm. at how it, uh, how it played out. Cause I didn't really remember it going quite that way. Not plot wise, but like, um, tension and execution wise. Um, yeah, I will say that my enjoyment of it now, I, I think you're right. Last I watched it, it was the first time since I'd seen it in, for, in high school. And I was like, I'm a grown up person who finds this sort of like dull and not as smart as it thinks it is. Mm-hmm. And watching it again, I'm more nostalgically like, actually, that's pretty interesting. <laughs> it's good because I like I had, it. <laughs> yeah, it's good because I like it. But now we're going to talk about the shit we didn't like. So what does not work about this movie? Uh, if I'm being honest the last third of the movie not at all no the second they go into the elevator i'm like this sucks this I'm, is so boring and dumb now i'm tapped out um i think the biggest problem with this is that from pretty much mm, like the 20 minute mark we start getting an idea that this has like global ramifications and that something really horrific is going to happen if these bureaucrats downstairs don't finish their job yeah um and so i think that there definitely needed to be some sort of wrap-up where we see the consequences um but it just it drags on and i actually think like the success of how funny the first two-thirds of this movie are and even like there's a moment when kurt like tries to motorcycle jump across the gorge and like hits the wall (laughs) 20 times on the way down and it's really funny um, or they start playing role with the changes because uh, they think that they've won downstairs, yeah. which is very funny. Um, and then like, as soon as they go down, the tension is gone. Yeah, absolutely. From the movie. And I said this to you, there's this one shot, uh, in the bank of elevators where the walls are just covered with blood. And I was like, they did the entire last like quarter of this movie to get that shot in this movie and it looks good, but it's not worth it. Not at all. And as much as I like Sigourney Weaver being there and, like, explaining to them their purpose, eh. Eh. Well, what I find really interesting about that is we hear her voice um, early on in that sequence mm-hmm. when they're walking down the hallway and she's like, we know that this isn't what you're expecting, but please let me explain. I kind of wish that she had been sort of a disembodied voice. Yeah. Um, a la her role in Finding Dory. <laughs> well, because every freaking person knows that that's Sigourney Weaver. Yes. She's very distinctive. Um, and I think it would have been a little bit more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's just, it really falls apart. Yeah. Tension is lost, especially because I think so much of the tension is maintained between like the known and unknown of like this, the facility knowing that they're doing this and marty only guessing mm-hmm. and the second he knows you're like well that's it they solved it there's no winning and there isn't any winning yeah i frankly think that they could have just gone into the elevator and the movie could have ended it would have been like 
what happens in like a way that you kind of have to figure out on your own. I think that that could have been really effective, but what I would have wanted to see was kind of like the earth starting to fall apart. Yeah. Or like, yes. See, cause the final shot of this movie, um, is so cringy and I don't use that term lightly. No, it's, it doesn't look good. It's, yeah, it's kind of embarrassing to watch. It is a ginormous hand that shoots up from the cabin and comes down and, like, crushes the camera or whatever, and it cuts to black. And I just kind of wish that we had seen, like, a, like lava bubbling up somewhere or something. And I think a lot of this has to do with another thing that I think doesn't work and has a lot to do with the tension is that this movie doesn't really have a score. Absolutely, yeah. Where, like, there's music, but it's so generic that I couldn't tell you a single musical cue that happens in the movie. I don't think the sound is particularly good or particularly in tune with this, like, masterful sound that goes into the horror genre. It's not even riffing on any recognizable horror themes. No. Which you absolutely can do and has been done. Yeah. Um, And I think music is such... Scoring music is such an important part of like introducing atmosphere and like making the audience feel what you want to feel and what you want them to feel and like I'm just not getting that from the rest of what's happening on screen well it's also interesting if you're picking apart the the horror genre and you don't pull some of the sound cues that are recognizable from the genre like there's a bunch Mm -hmm. of like sirens and flares and like saw tones that happen in horror and they happen in every horror movie and they very specifically set the tone and set the edge which is why they keep being used over and over and over again oh the fact that nary a violin yeah is heard in this whole movie <laughs> I, so yeah i agree like they tension is balanced between the idea that these worlds are separated for the entire thing and once they're no longer separated there's nothing maintaining the tension and if you don't have any other technical elements that help you develop that tension like sound editing like scoring even some of the like honestly like most of this movie takes place in the dark some of the lighting isn't particularly interesting Mm -hmm. there's like one scene where uh, Dana brings like a lamp down to the basement and that's I think the best it looks Mm -hmm. but the rest is pretty generic and you kind of can't play on the generics if you are explicitly commenting on a genre as a whole it seems like a cop-out yeah um so I definitely agree with that I think the whole thing about like like conceptually I think the ancient gods are good like that's the whole like factor behind the genre is that we have to keep sacrificing these five people to like appease some ancient being and that's where this you know whole trend came from or whatever but I think practically especially that last bit is so boring and also is like this really weird sort of like bogus libertarian view on free will where Dana and Marty are like fuck these people let's just die fuck the entire world yeah like literally every single human being on the planet which is like the world's most extreme version of the trolley problem which we've discussed yeah (laughs) um it is so crazy i think it's maybe a little bit more in tune with like human nature where in your last moments you would be a little bit like yeah fuck everybody else i but i don't know i don't know (sighs) well marty is set up to have that feeling 
at the very beginning, even before they get to the cabin, where he's like, we gotta get off the grid. We gotta unplug. I think we all should just unplug. That'll save the world. And, um, you know, if you end the world, people are unplugged. Yeah. Um, It feels like, it legit feels like old people being like, God, young people are so selfish. That's what the end of this movie feels like. It is so bizarre because I cannot tell if it is supposed to be a critique of like the millennial culture or if it's just like an observation of like youth um, and the general selfishness of young people in general. Like I have no idea. I have no idea. And I also think that it would have been even more subversive to have Dana just fucking shoot Marty. Yeah. Yeah. And then she can die too. I really don't care. Um, but the fact that she like hesitates so much is like disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, again, it also like lowers like that it's to have stakes as high as the world ending and have the tension be on the floor like Mm -hmm. that is, um, not fun to watch. And yeah, I guess the movie's purpose is to comment on the genre, but if you set this whole thing up, I don't really like with it being like, oh, it's a sacrifice, this is sacrificial, and then you have the world consumed. I'm literally not entirely sure what you're saying. Yeah, I And think- I don't really want anyone to come back and be like, well, you're just not smart enough to get it. No, I think I should be and I don't understand what it's saying. It it seems really vague. But I think that part of the reason it it does feel vague is because um the global implications are way too broad yes every horror movie that i really like and find really successful is focused on one particular community or one group of people and plays on like their relational dynamics together like those stakes feel so high well, I think there's something to be said about the fact that many horror movies, especially right now, are basically kitchen sink dramas with murder. Yeah. Because movies are made more scary and interesting when you include, like, human levels of emotion. But I think you're right. Like, it's too broad to, uh, to pinpoint where that's supposed to be coming from. And, like, nerd bro douchebags like Joss Whedon at all love to be like, well, if you didn't get it, that's because it's actually really subversive and interesting. And it's like, no, you actually said something so broad that anybody can come to any conclusion about it. And that makes it so you're the dumb one, not me. Yeah. I just feel slightly condescended to is what I'm saying, as you can tell, because I'm feeling very up in arms. Um, Well, you know... I was looking at Roger Ebert's take on this movie and his final sentence in his review is that it feels like a final exam for fanboys. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is a movie men would like to explain to me. I remember men (laughs) explaining this movie to me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, I was a teenager, so I didn't... So I probably let them... I was like, like, yeah, it's fine. (laughs) But now... I am an adult and I have my own podcast, so nothing gives you an inflated <laughs> sense of superiority quite like that. Um, I also wish it could be scarier. I think this movie should be scarier. Why isn't it scarier? It can be funny and scarier. I literally, I think a lot of it comes down to a lack of music cues. Maybe, yeah. Um, 
Because, like, just the just the whine of, like, a couple of violins, like, on one of their highest notes, like, it gives me shivers down my spine. Yeah. You know? It's <laughs> nice. Again, that's why all those tones get used over and over it again. It doesn't take a lot. No. It no. doesn't take much. Um, There's very few jump scares. I actually think that that would have helped there's a like lot. There's, like, one or two. I don't love a jump scare. I think you get one really good one, a movie. But I think my, my thing about jump scares is I don't really like slashers as much as you do. Mm, that's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I I think that's a matter of taste. Yeah. But no, I just think it could be scarier. I think it wastes a little bit of time. I think, again, the tension is not well managed, especially when it's supposed to start being scary, per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is when it kind of loses me. I actually, and I said this to you while we were watching, I kind of wish, I, I get the whole, like, we wanted people to think they were in the wrong movie. I kind of wish we didn't really know much about the facility until the end you know i kind of think about sorry to bother you which has one of the craziest batshit absolutely out of left field like twists of all time i have still not seen it i'm not going to tell you okay watch that movie and like without knowing and i'm not a spoiler person like i do not believe in spoilers really but that is one that is so crazy mm-hmm. and so insane that you're like okay 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 what and i feel like there is a poten- there's a potential other better cabin in the woods that reveals the facility later where you're like okay 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 what i think it might have been more effective because when we see them drive off there's like an agent on the top of dana's house mm-hmm. um updating the facility on the fact that they've left um, I think it'd be really interesting to see, like, you know, G-Men in the woods watching them mm-hmm. um, without having any knowledge of why they're there. Yeah. Th- I think that would have been a little bit more effective. I know that the facility is a huge part of the humor of this movie, but mm-hmm. I think it can still be funny without well-maintaining its tension. So it just feels, everything feels slightly out of whack. Feels slightly unbalanced. Um, and but- I'll... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'll tell you what's nuts about that, though. This is a 90-minute movie. Oh, my God, I know. The pacing is freaking whack it does not pace itself well at all yeah it is um again the elevator dings they get into it and i'm like all right i'm i'm done and there's a whole like <laughs> half hour left yeah it is crazy that it makes itself feel so long with 90 minutes you should be like 90 minutes i can do anything i assumed it was two hours yeah yeah so i think that is also part of the mismanaged pacing and also like trying to maintain like the facility stuff with the cabin mm-hmm. um but yeah, yeah, it just, everything needs it, it to be put in some check zhuzh. a little bit. Yep. Let's talk about the cultural legacy of this movie. So from many people who talk about the legacy of this movie, it kind of like Scream reinvigorated the genre. Mm-hmm. After this movie, we started seeing a lot less torture porn. We started seeing a lot less like really typical haunted house movies and we moved into like a very severe era of like psychological horror um it does feel like that was possibly a reaction to this movie because joss whedon described this as a love hate letter to the genre and certainly it is like lampooning the archetypes and the tried and true structures that are used and so I think that if you're a director who's or a writer who's interested in like making horror you see that and you see its impact on culture and you think well I'm gonna do something that is so completely out of that structure Mm -hmm. um so that it will be taken seriously 
And I think, I mean, if, if that's what gave us our, the current uh, era of horror we're living in, cool. Yeah, when I think about like the movies that like sort of preceded like the next three years after this, we had like the Babadook and the Witch, things that I like really like and are mm-hmm. very much unlike this, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and if you know, it sort of took po- po- poking fun at the genre um, to put it in that direction. I actually think we're moving into a place where we can start including those tropes back in while also maintaining sort of some of the really good stuff that's come out of the last 10 years of horror. Yeah. I mean, I think Crimson Peak is a really excellent example of that, which is a Gothic horror film that plays on so, so many things that you can see coming from a mile away, but it is like gorgeous. It's well acted. It's so like intricate. It is, it is an actual love letter to like gothic horror, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's done really, really well. I think that you can, I think that you can do horror in this way as long as you're like aware of what you're doing. And also like you are always commenting on the things that came before you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe if if this, if the the legacy is that it brought self-awareness to the genre, then cool. That's giving it, a lot a lot of credit i don't know that we can no not in the way that like so not in the way that it did that inherently because like i Mm -hmm. said we talked about how scream was the first person to be like by the way this this may be dumb but i think it sort of reopened the conversation about being like it's not just one thing it's not just archetypes Mm -hmm. um horror can be good horror can be good yeah yeah. Horror. What's your favorite horror movie? I feel like that's really hard to say. Um, I really love Ringu and the original Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all things I would sit down and watch again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also feel like there's a lot of horror out there that I've never seen. It. And also like the scariest movie I've seen is not like my favorite horror movie. That would be the strangers. It's fucking terrifying. Um, I've never seen The Strangers. And I can never watch it again. It really freaked me out. But Interesting. I don't know. I feel like I know the answer to yours, but what is, what's yours? Uh, it's It's been in flux recently. I mean, everyone knows that I love The Blair Witch Project. Mm-hmm. I just, I love it. Um, I, I think Lake Mungo is masterful. Mm-hmm. Which is funny that I just said two documentary horror, like, you know, <laughs> documentary style horror, but that's not anything I actually look for. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, I do like The Witch a lot. It's on my list. You haven't seen it. I d- I do feel like you know this. No, well, when you say that, <laughs> when you say that you haven't seen things to me, I'm like that's preposterous, <laughs> and I throw it away. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do like Lake Mungo. I like um, I love The Ring. Mm. I I know that people don't love the American <laughs> Ring, but I like it. So hmm, that's fine. Yeah, that's fair. I feel like I give boring answers, but I feel like I gave the answers that everybody knew I was going to give. Um, Okay, we can play Where Are They Now, but frankly, everybody either had a really established career before doing this movie or has had the career that you know that they had. Yeah, I think we all covered that a little bit at the beginning, too. Uh, Julia, it's time that we give (laughs) this, this movie a grade. What do you want to... What do you rate Cabin in the Woods? All right. 
I divided it into two sections. Okay. I give the first two thirds of this movie an A minus. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Because I'm having a great time watching it. I think it's making some really interesting critique. Uh, I give the last third of this movie a C plus at best. I agree wholeheartedly. <laughs> I would even maybe just give it a C. <laughs> like the last third of this movie is so like, wow, I literally do not care anymore. I, yeah. But the first, they had us, man. They really did. It's so fun. I'll be honest. The plus is for Sigourney Weaver. Oh, oh yeah. Hi Sigourney. So. Yeah. Love it. Um, It's great. I mean, if you haven't seen this movie or haven't watched it since it came out, I recommend watching it again. If you haven't seen it, sorry, we spoiled it entirely for you. But if you haven't seen it and listened to this whole podcast, you deserve every spoiler you got. You know how this podcast goes. We've been doing it for two years. Also, again, you know I don't believe in spoilers. There are so, so few examples of that. I don't think you should know what happens in Sorry to Bother You. I don't think you should know what happens in Parasite, and that's about it. Yeah. That's it. I, I would have been two. I would have been devastated if Parasite had been ruined for me. Yeah. Um... Anyway, I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, I think it, I think so. All right, guys. Well, that is our second Halloween bonus episode of the Teen Wolf Reel podcast. We will be coming at you with one other bonus episode, hopefully fan listener chosen. Hmm. Um, we if we we got to be dumb enough <laughs> and repetitive enough, enough on the bingo boards to get that out out there. I don't um, think that's going to be a problem. No, well, I us being dumb, not a problem. Um but other than that, we really hope you guys uh like this episode. We hope you're getting into the full sing of spooky season as we move into the second half of October. Um you guys can follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore Real, which is also our Instagram handle. You can follow us on Tumblr, TeenWolf Real. Our Facebook group is TeenWolf Real Podcast. You can buy our stickers on Redbubble. You can buy us coffee, chaotic, chef, I, decorum board slash TeenWolf Real. Please are you on iTunes. Other than that, I have been Christian. And I've been Julia. And we hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Uh, uh, woo!